they're not just reflecting children's preferences, they are shaping them. So they have a responsibility to think about the influence that these quizzes are having on children's tastes and preferences. A new investigation into one of Britain's most beloved children's comics has raised questions about the exposure of children to fast food brands. I'm Rebecca Coombs, Head of Journalism at the BMJ, and I'd like to introduce our guests today, Claire Mulrennan and Mark Pettigrew. Perhaps you could introduce yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So Claire Mulrennan, I'm a specialty registrar in public health, um, and I've been doing some work with the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in Mark's team. And Mark Pettigrew, I'm a professor of public health, London School of Hygiene, Tropical Medicine. Um, and there's a group of us at the school, um, a research group called the Commercial Determinants Research Group that uh, Claire's been part of and um, that did this work and various other bits and pieces as well. Great, thank you. Um, so Claire and Mark, you approached us at the BMJ last year with a really intriguing story about the famous British children's comic The Beano. Um, and for those of you that don't know or who didn't grow up in the UK, The Beano is, um, you know, it's as British as the royal family, Heinz baked beans and builder's tea. I, I remember being really jealous of my best friend at school because she had a membership to the Dennis the Menace fan club and I didn't. And when the time came, I we also got a subscription for our kids. So we've got a new generation of Beano lovers in our family. Um, so they've been and it's been entertaining children for generations, at least 80 years, I think. And the characters such as Dennis the Menace, Minnie the Minx and the Bash Street Kids. And it, it's fun. I mean, it's anarchic, um, it's humorous and it knows its young audience really well. I suppose what's interesting about Beano is it's a publishing success story as well. So while other titles like the Dando of Dandy have fallen by the wayside, um, with sort of 21st century digital native kids, the Beano's gone from strength to strength. And I think tens of millions of children have visited its new website since it started. So that's the Beano. Um, but I just want to ask you, first of all, what drew you to this story? And, you know, what's it got to do with health? Well, I, I can kick off. And um, I mean, there's still time to get that Beano fan club membership Rebecca can get you into, into some very select places. Um, yeah, I mean, as I, I said, there, there's a research group. We've a research group, Commercial Determinants Research Group, the London School of Hygiene, and we've done quite a bit of research on commercial determinants on health. Um, so this is sort of the broader background, and we've done research on the alcohol industry, fossil fuel industry, food industry, gambling industry, and, and various others. And as part of one of the projects, um, I came across uh, the Beano website and I wondered whether the, there was any food advertising or other advertising in the Beano and started to look around. So what we found was numerous quizzes with um, more than 100 covering content that was high in for food that was high in fat, salt, sugar. So there was a focus on big fast food brands. So you've got the ultimate McDonald's quiz asking questions like how many McDonald's are in the world. Um, these are all multiple choice. They're very vibrant, very bright, clearly targeted at children and indistinguishable essentially from what you'd see 
in advertising as well in the form of advert games. I think there was just shock that these supposedly child-friendly quizzes um, included a multitude of soft drink and fast food brand logos, a lot about branding. So that persistent presentation of specific brands, it almost felt like children were being primed to recognise these brands, turning children into consumers. So the assumption for us initially was that these were advertainment. So essentially a form of advertising, so promotional practices that integrate brand communications within the context of entertainment products. So I should say at this point that Bino insists that, um, that despite these high fat salt and sugar companies appearing in the totally random questions section, um, that none of those brands have paid the company any money. So these brands such as, you know, PepsiCo, um, uh, McDonald's, Greg's, um, Five Guys, Burger King, the list goes on. Um, so, I mean, that's interesting in itself, isn't it? That And, and also, I should say, that there's no suggestion that the quizzes that appear on Beano.com um, are paid for by the brands themselves. Um, but it seems that your concern is, despite this, that is it that Beano's giving away free advertising to products which are harmful to the health of children? As you as you mentioned, Rebecca, we were quite shocked to find out that no money or services in kind had exchanged hands. But I think for us, regardless of whether any money had changed hands, we know this content is harmful. So the quizzes we see on the website are essentially indistinguishable from advertising for ultra processed food companies. And there's been studies that have consistently demonstrated harm associated with childhood exposure to these. So there's a wealth of evidence that shows a clear link between food advertising and the food children choose. Advertising influences how much children eat can lead them to pestering parents to buy unhealthy products. Um, One study that comes to mind is found that children playing advert games promoting unhealthy snacks consumed an average of 77 calories more over a 25 minute snacking period than those playing games promoting fruit. Now that may sound minor, but then you multiply that over the course of a year and you're seeing a huge increase in consumption of of calories and a resulting impact on on obesity. I think it's worth saying as well that there was a level of shock at that response around our quizzes like the comic aim to reflect what children are interested in and what we know is relevant to them. So that was the response we got from the Beano, but an expert that we spoke to um, put it succinctly when she said you know they're not just reflecting children's preferences they are shaping them so they have a responsibility to think about the influence that these quizzes are having on children's tastes and preferences now at this point in the podcast let's move on from talking about the Beano quizzes to a much more general discussion about advertising to kids by the big fast food manufacturers and what's going on in the industry as a whole. So for a long time, children have been obsessed with junk food, its palatability, but also its kind of mythos. What is it about junk food advertising that makes the product seem so glamorous to children? I mean, to a big extent, the marketing, the marketing of junk food is deliberately targeted at children. And you can see this from advertisers' own advertising campaigns. And actually, in a separate study that we published about one or two years ago, um, we found advertisers' case studies for um, sort of chocolate and sweets and so on. And they say quite explicitly 
that part of their um, mechanism, if you like, is to target the messaging directly to the children, to exclude the mother as far as possible, um, and being very careful to um, ensure that the children is, feels a sense of ownership, but also feels a sense of exclusivity. Um, i.e. excluding the, the parents, they talk explicitly explicitly about the mother in some of these case advertising case studies. You know, there's a big literature on how advertising works and the mechanism by which advertising works for children. As I say, it does work through mechanisms of exclusivity, um, building, uh, allowing children to build relationships with peers, spreading by word of mouth and so on. Um, so it's not... It's not just the the product, and it's not just the, on its own, and it's not just the advertising. It's a it's a mix of uh, a range of different strategies. Um, and in the face of those very effective strategies, we've seen in the UK an attempt to move back the targeting of junk food to kids through advertising bans, but it's not been quite as fulsome as we might like. Claire, could you tell us where we are with that junk food advertising ban? So to give a bit of context, so there's some existing regulations that do offer protection for children. Um, so essentially no medium should be used to advertise high fat salt sugar products if more than 25% of its audience is under 16. But more recently, there has been a plan for revisions to this as part of the government obesity strategy. So there was a plan for a 9pm watershed and a total online ban on high fat salt sugar food advertising. But unfortunately, this has seen not one, but two delays. So initially it was pushed back to January 2024 and more recently delayed again to October 2025. So one of the reasons, of course, why um, regulation to protect the public and protect public health and to address issues like childhood obesity or adult obesity and also other public health problems is, of course, that industries seek continually to delay and prevent regulation being put in place and regulations around marketing particularly advertising and marketing are a real threat to the alcohol industry and the food industry um, and so there's a constant sort of pressure from industry itself to ensure that any attempts to regulate um, are delayed or diverted and one way to do that is for industries to say well, look, we're very responsible industries. We can look after our own houses, look after our own shop. Um, you don't need to regulate. We can engage in voluntary sort of self-regulation. And um, any harmful industry does this, any industry does this. Um, so they will put in place measures which, um, for example, um, sometimes involves corporate res social responsibility activities. Uh, sometimes it simply involves assuring the government that they can deal with any um, misbehaviour in their own industry and that any sort of stronger regulation isn't actually necessary. So it sounds like they've been quite successful <laughs> in kicking the, the can yes, down the road. And, you know, there are governments that are quite happy for the can to be kicked down the road as well because quite often governments don't particularly want to introduce regulation and governments will argue that, well, it's slow, it loses them um, political favour, if you like, and governments, particularly those of a sort of more, you know, uh, centre-right um, leaning, um, will be quite happy to pass the buck back to industry to um, to self-regulate and you to put voluntary measures in place. And in between the two, the public somewhere is left 
um, quite often um, very exposed in public health terms. Is there um, something of a sort of David and Goliath fight then between the kind of enormous um, uh, budgets of these brands compared to that of, um, you know, public health services and, and, and food campaigners? I mean, how do you get out the message that healthy food um, is something to be interested in in the first place? Yeah, I think I think David and Goliath covers it really. So there is a reason food companies spend money on this content because it works and it can feel in public health like we're fight, fighting a losing battle here. So actually in the BMJ in 2017, there was some research re- reported that spending on junk food advertising was nearly 30 times what the government spends on promoting healthy eating. Um, on the note of, of what Mark said around targeting children, there are stats that show that children see a huge amount of advertising. So we have seen some successes in public health. So I think it's worth mentioning in the last few years, TFL, for example, actually banned the advertising of these products on um, t- on buses and tubes, etc., and saw a resulting reduction in obesity. And the impact was greater in those um, in more deprived groups as well. So trying to reduce that in those inequalities that I spoke about. But it can feel like we're really fighting a losing battle. And industry, of course, will argue that, well, it doesn't really matter because advertising and marketing don't work. So they dispute the evidence of the effectiveness of advertising and marketing anyway, marketing to children in the same way that the tobacco industry disputes that uh, cigarette advertising actually um, encouraged smoking. But um, I mean, there have been systematic reviews which have shown that the relationship is actually causal, you know, that advertising actually does contribute to consumption. It's not just as uh, any of these industries will argue. Um, they will argue that it just helps to promote brand choice. It helps uh, you know, consumers to choose one brand over another. Um, so that's, a, that's an advertising industry and food and alcohol industry myth. So that's the general background about how the food industry can influence kids and affect their health. Perhaps we can turn back to the Beano. We've established they're not breaking any rules on the advertising of junk food to children. But do you think there's an ethical duty for them to look at all their editorial content and consider how it might affect children's health? I think we do need to look beyond legal frameworks for this kind of issue. We have here a trusted company whose main audience is children with huge visibility. So um, so I think it really is on them as well to uphold the highest ethical standards. And for me, I really think these companies need to do a lot better. Um, yeah, just sort of, just finally, just to sort of, might just want to talk about how we brought, how you brought this piece together. Um, it's in the BMJ this week. It's a cover story. Um, and to develop the piece, you worked with consumer journalist Harry Wallop, um, to turn the story from what was initially an academic manuscript that you submitted to the BMJ, I think initially for our Christmas issue. Um, and you you have been very involved in turning that into a piece of journalism. Do you think that, you know, these kind of articles um, can cut through and help you know, turn the dial? I mean, I think that's absolutely true. And I almost feel it's the most important way in which you can make you can affect change because you know political change actually comes about through 
changing the public's perception and changing the public's priorities. And Claire talked earlier about uh, the political will to do something about obesity or to address advertising and marketing. The political will is quite weak in this country, but it will change whenever politicians see and policymakers see that the public has concerns and the public health you know, has a set of priorities around public health, which which aren't always visible. And I would think for some of these sort of topics, as Claire mentioned earlier, you know, the public is concerned about obesity and so on. I think if the if parents are concerned about these issues, they would also be concerned about the sort of exposure to brands and product that we saw in, on the Bino web Bino website. So I do think, I mean, as public health practitioners and researchers and so on, I think we have to keep a very, very close engagement with the public if we want to see evidence actually affect change. You've been listening to Mark Pettigrew and Claire Moreno talk about the new investigation, Big Macs and the Beano. Is it time for the comic to drop the junk food brands, which is now available on bmj.com. That's it for this episode, but we'll be back next week with another Doctor Informed. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out. I'm Rebecca Coombs, Head of Journalism at the BMJ. Thanks for listening.